looking at Psalm 107, verse 23. We've been in this for the last uh, three weeks. This is our last sermon here. Psalm 107, verse 23. And I'll say what I seldom say today. Take your Bibles. <laughs> Open your Bibles. Follow along. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships to do business in the vast waters. They saw the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep water. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the sea waves. The sailors went up to the sky. They came down to the depths. Their strength melted because of the great danger. They reeled to and fro and staggered like drunken men and were completely confused. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distress. He made the storm calm, and the sea waves were still. They were glad because the waters were quiet, so he brought them to their desired harbor. And may God bless the reading of his word today is my prayer. Uh, this is the fourth and the last time that the psalmist described this in Psalm 107 and used the formula, Then they cried unto the Lord. We see that in verse 6, verse 13, verse 19, and now in verse 28. Now, in every case, there is a then, and the then describes the circumstances in which they, the people, uh, cried unto the Lord. He described them as a searching people, wandering through the barren wilderness in an inhospitable place where they found no place to rest. He described their need for salvation as they were bound in chains and in prison because they had rebelled against God and rejected his truth. He described them in their sickness because of their iniquities and their rejection of God and their transgressions, and therefore uh, they were sick. Uh, then this morning we see that last then and they condemnation, then they cried, and in this case, he describes the sailors out sailing up on the sea and the then describes them in the midst of their greatest fear, the storms. He began with this observation in verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. Uh, years ago, while I was pastoring in our neighboring community of Hazen, I remember having a conversation with a local farmer. Uh, he was not a church member. He not, did not attend church much. Uh, and there was some question as to whether or not he was a believer. But one winter, I had the opportunity of visiting with him and talking to him. And so I asked him if he believed in the Lord, and I've never forgotten his response. He said, it's hard to be an atheist if you're a farmer. In a very similar way today, I would say that it's hard to be an atheist if you're a sailor because they are daily surrounded by the incredible works of God and the way that God works constantly around them. The writer of this psalm, though, wasn't a sailor. He was a shepherd, but still it wasn't very far from where he was to the ocean. He might have listened to the sailors tell their stories. Almost certainly he had stood and looked out, as you and I have, across the ocean. There's something about that view that makes us feel small and causes our soul to cry out to the Almighty God. But storms were a constant 
threat to these sailors. They had no radar. They had no National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration giving daily weather forecasts that they could pull up on their phone for storm and wind and even wave conditions. They knew a storm was coming in only one way. They saw the clouds. And by the time they saw them and by the time they felt the wind, it was too late. They couldn't just pick, kick in the big motor and, and make a run for shore. There, that was not possible for them. And so storms were a fearsome thing to the ancient sailors, mariners. They came regularly. The only question was to its severity. Now in our day, weather patterns are much better known to us. And we get quite a bit of warning before a weather-related storm comes down upon us, whether it is the blizzard that we get from time to time or the ice warning in the winter or the tornado and severe thunderstorm warnings that we get in the spring and the summer. Uh, the warning is still there. Now, uh, it may not turn out just exactly as we would like, but still there are warnings. But in a lot of ways, we identify with how the ancient mariners reacted to the storms. Uh, because sometimes in life, you see, the storms swoop down without warning. We have no way to prepare for them. We can't see them coming. By the time we know they're here, it's too late. Maybe in a relationship when someone you count on is suddenly not somebody you can count on anymore. And a mom or a dad or a spouse has done something really stupid and you're in a storm. Maybe a job situation where you thought your company was stable and your income was dependable, but suddenly without warning, it's gone. It may be a medical report where a simple visit to a doctor gives you news you never anticipated, but changes your life forever, and you're in a storm. But sometimes our storms aren't personal, and by that I mean they're not uh, unique to us. One thing we know about weather storms especially is that they affect a lot of people at the same time. So it is with the storms of life. Sometimes the storms hit our nation as a whole, and we're in one of those right now. A new strain of virus has gone around the world. It would be bad enough if it was just sickness. Uh, but now it's hit our economy. The stock market has plunged. Businesses are shutting down. Schools are closed. And most unthinkable, you can't buy toilet paper. Egan, how will we survive? Uh, now I have to say that I can't remember seeing such barren shelves in stores since the Y2K craze. And some of you who don't know what Y2K was, ask your mom and dad, they can tell you. Uh, I drove by a couple of stores yesterday that specialize in the sale of weapons and ammunition, and literally there were lines in Little Rock out to the parking lot. We're in a storm. It wouldn't do us any good to be in denial and say, we're not in a storm, we are. But I do get a little weary of hearing people saying, well, we've never been through anything like this before. Well, in some ways, this is a unique challenge to us. But I want to remind you, our country has weathered some tough times before. Now, the Great Depression was before my time, but my parents were born into it and grew up in it. They survived. 
World War II was before my time, but my parents told me about something called ration cards. And they, you see the, the purchase of cars, tires, gasoline, oil, coal, firewood, nylon, silk, shoes, meat, dairy, coffee, dried fruits, jams, jellies, lard, yes, lard, shortening, and cooking oil, and sugar, were all rationed. But just because you had a ration card that gave you the ability to buy it did not mean that, number one, you had the money to buy it or that, number two, it was even in the stores. I don't remember that, but my parents and my grandparents have told me about it. It was a time of national shortage because so many of our goods and supplies were being diverted to the war effort. We faced a common enemy, and if we were going as a nation to defeat that enemy, then we had to accept shortcomings, hardships, difficulties. Now, I don't tell you this this morning. I can see some of you young people's eyes rolling from here. I'm not telling you this to give you an uphill both ways kind of story. I'm telling you this because it's the truth. We have been through these things before. The Great Depression didn't last for a few months, but for over a decade. World War II lasted for five years, including its aftermath. We have made it through storms as a nation before. We are in one now, but we have made it through before. To our millennials then and to even younger generations, though you haven't experienced anything like this, your parents and grandparents have. It is unprecedented perhaps to you, but that doesn't mean it is unprecedented. I'm convinced that at least part of the fear-filled response we are seeing across our nation comes from the fact that so many of our generations, especially on the younger side of things, interact almost exclusively with their peer groups. And you rely then on your collective experiences and knowledge. But when you haven't gone through something before, and all of your friends haven't gone through anything like that before, and all of your peer group hasn't gone through anything like that before, then I can understand why it is so fearful. If nothing else, let this be a time to remind you of why it's important to talk to your parents and to listen to your grandparents. They've got some great stories to tell. Maybe your family structure has been blown apart. And I'm sorry if that's happened to you. Maybe you don't have a relationship with your parents. Maybe you don't have a relationship with your grandparents. That doesn't mean that there aren't good, godly people around who have gone through these things and they can tell you. Yes, it was a hard time. We couldn't buy shoes. We couldn't buy milk. We couldn't buy anything at the store. But we survived. We helped each other. God got us through. Regardless of where then the life storm comes from, or of whether it's a personal one, or national one. Let's not forget that while this national storm is affecting our nation, there are still a lot of people who are struggling with very personal storms. People who have lost their jobs. People who have lost their family. People whose marriage is breaking down. Somebody who's got that bad news from the doctor. That still goes on even in the midst 
of this national situation. So regardless of where these life storms come from, and regardless of whether it is a national one or a personal one, they are always known for their suddenness, and they are known by their severity. None of us a month ago could have predicted the stock market crash, the empty shelves, the closed schools, or the closed churches. There may be more unpredicted things to come. That's what it's like when you get hit by a storm. The question for us this morning is, how do we deal with these life storms when they come? Not if, but when they come. And our text presents the wisdom of these ancient sailors caught in a storm. You can almost feel the wind howling and the waves crashing over the bow of the ship as the psalmist describes how they were thrust up into the heavens and then crashed down into the bottom as they're talking about that, that ship on that storm-tossed sea and the waves and the wind and the crashing. During Hurricane Ivan, a few years ago in the Gulf of Mexico, by actual measurement, they measured waves over 90 feet high. It's in the Gulf of Mexico, Hurricane Ivan. Up high, down low. But notice that the psalmist not only described these storms vividly, but he also spoke of its divine source. Verse 25, for he, that's God, commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. And they mount up to the heavens, go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. We remind you today that the storms, whether weather-related or the storms of life do not operate outside the realm of God's omnipotence. But how do we react? Well, I want us to look at a storm that's covered for us in Acts chapter 27. Now, I don't have time to preach that. I'd love to, uh, but I don't have time to preach that to you today. It is a great example, though, of how to get through a storm. The Apostle Paul uh, was headed to Rome as a prisoner. Uh, he was loaded up on a ship and sent across the Mediterranean. They changed ships then uh, along the way. And as they did, he was warned by God that they should not continue the trip. He told the, 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 the captain of the ship that they should not go, that God had warned him that they shouldn't go. But instead of listening to Paul, instead they consulted the experts, the, the captain, the owners of the ship then, and listened to them instead of listening to God. And there's a famous passage, I love it, in verse 13 of Acts chapter 27. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had turned their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. That soft southern breeze, they didn't know, was soon to be a howling hurricane. God knew. But when they felt that soft southern breeze, they said, that's just what we need. It's time to sail. And they went. After 15 days of being blown around in that horrible hurricane, the Bible says that all hope was lost. 
And then comes this telling passage in verse 29. Fearing, he said, lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. I want you to get a picture this morning of a bunch of sailors hunkered down in a battered, leaking, sinking ship, growing close to shore, all hope lost, fearful that they were going to crash on the rocks and all they could do in the darkness was wish that the storm would stop. Wish for day. This is a tragic picture of people with no God to turn to in the midst of a storm. And all they can do is wish that it would get better. But I want to remind you today that wishing don't make it so. So instead, I want us to look for a moment at what the Bible says that that old Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Apostle Paul was doing in the midst of that same storm. While those sailors that didn't believe and wouldn't listen to God were over there in the darkness wishing that it would get day. Here's Paul, and what does he do? Verse 22, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. What a testimony Paul gave. Be of good cheer. And how, what did he base that on? He based it on the fact he said, I believe God. I believe God. I belong to God. And I serve God. Those are the three dominant truths in the life of everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ. Number one, I belong to God. And I gave my life to him long ago. And if you were saved this morning, you gave your life to him long ago. He still got it. He hadn't given it back. Your life is his life. You belong to him. You serve him. And you believe in him. That is, you trust him. No wonder Paul could say in the midst of the storm, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Nobody's going to die. Now you are going to lose your stuff. That ought to remind us that God cares a lot more about our soul than he does our stuff. Fact is, most of our life would get a little bit better if we didn't have so much stuff, whether we'll admit it or not. Every one of us from time to time walks through our house, our shop, our bedroom, or looks in our closet and said, man, I need to get rid of some of this stuff. God doesn't care about our stuff. He cares about our soul. That's what he's looking for. And then in this case, he would say, I'm going to save your life so you'll lose your stuff. What a great example then the Bible gives us of the contrast between an unbeliever who went through the storm and all they could do was wish. I wish it was different. Wish it would go away. As opposed then to the man of God who said, be of good cheer. I belong to God, I serve God, and I'm trusting God. So the real issue for us, you see, is not whether there's going to be storms or even how bad they are. The real issue for us as believers is how we're going to face them. Are we going to face them like Paul? 
You see, in a way, Psalm 107 gives us that exact same picture because these sailors, when they found themselves in the midst of the storm, they cried unto God. So let, let's look at this. First of all, we'll see the condition, verse 25, for he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the ways thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. In this terrible howling storm, then with all the highs and lows, as they're reeling about and staggering about, just trying to keep their footing. And tellingly, the Bible says they were at their wits' end. Sometimes in our life storms, folks, it takes a long time for us to get to our wits' end. What that means is when we are willing to admit, I don't have anything left to try. I've already been through door number one, door number two, door number three. There's not a door number four. I've tried everything I knew to try. I've done everything I knew to do. I've put it out on Facebook. I've done everything my friends tell me to do, and none of it's working. Sometimes, you see, in our life storm, it takes us a long time to get to that point where we're able to say, I don't know what to do. I can't help myself. Other times, we get there rather quickly in our life storms. The place where we've done all we know how to do, and we're willing to call out to the Lord. So often, people say, well, you know, you've got to do something even if it's wrong. That's some of the worst advice that we could ever give. You can expend a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of resources running down a lot of empty paths looking for help. These ancient mariners got to their wits' end fairly quickly. And when they did, then, the next thing we see is their cry. Are you at your wits' end today? Some of you have been there for a good while. And I understand there's nothing like being cooped up in your house with no school to go to. and It'll get you to your wits' end pretty quickly. What did they do? They cried unto the Lord then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses I love what the old song suggested long ago sometimes he calms the storm but sometimes he calms his child you remember that Paul heard from the Lord but even after Paul heard from the Lord there was still 14 days of storm and a shipwreck in their future There are times when we cry out to God and His deliverance is almost immediate and uh, quickly forthcoming. But many, many other times it it takes a while. Sometimes His deliverance is absolute. I, I love that story in the Old Testament book of Daniel and the three Hebrew young men who were thrown into the fiery furnace to be burned to to cinders because they would not worship. Uh, the king or bow down to him and his decree and his image but God joined them in the fire and when they came out they came out without even the smell of smoke on their clothes not only was their hair not singed not their eyebrows not their beard not their clothes nothing burned you couldn't even smell smoke on them sometimes God's deliverance is that way 
Other times we'd come away limping like Jacob did. A limp that he would take for the rest of his life so that every step he took he would be reminded of that time where he fought with God all night long. And God, as he always does, prevailed. But he walked with a limp. I want to remind you this morning that the time and the manner of our deliverance is not of our choosing. What I mean by that is we don't get to choose how long we have to wait, how long we have to endure the storm. We don't get to choose how much we may lose. It is our part to trust God and be of good cheer, knowing that we belong to Him, we serve Him, and we can trust Him to get us through. So the condition, we see that, the storm they were in, their cry unto the Lord. And now, last, there's the calm. Verse 29, he maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then they are glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children, men. Well, they cried unto the Lord. And the Bible tells us, first of all, that God calmed the storm and stilled the waves. I want to remind you this morning that no storm lasts forever. Storms pass. That's why we sing, keep me safe till the storm passes by because that's what storms do they pass they pass once the storm was passed then God gave them gladness in the quiet they are glad because they be quiet there's something about emerging from the storms and the tempest into the quiet that makes our heart rejoice. We know as believers in Christ that God has calmed the storm and we know that God has calmed our hearts too. But then the Bible says God brought them to their destination. God brought them to what they were longing for and looking for and I love the way the old King James puts it, into their desired haven, haven. Their place of rest and safety and refreshment and relaxation. And he concludes then his time by saying, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Has, has God been good to you today? And the answer to that question is, yes, he has. Yes, he has. Will he be good to us again? Yes, he will. Is he being good to us right now? Yes, he is. So what can we do? We can praise God for his goodness. Let the unbelieving crowd curse God for what they perceive as his meanness. They just don't know God. You and I, as God's people, even in the midst of the storm, can praise him knowing that he has a haven of rest in our future. I love, back when I used to lead singing as a child, I loved that old song, The Haven of Rest. <clears throat> and with God's help and a little bit of hoarseness on my part, 
uh, I'm going to sing it for you. My soul in sad exile was out on life's sea, so burdened in sin and distress. Then I heard a sweet voice saying, make me your choice. And I entered the haven of rest. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wild seas no more. The tempest may sweep o'er the wild stormy deep. In Jesus, I'm safe evermore. Amen. Well, there will be those who give up hope who sit in the dark and wish for day. But you and I can say like Paul, I believe God. I'm trusting in God. I've given my life to God. I belong to Him. I serve Him. I trust Him. And I know that He's going to see me safely to my haven of rest. Because then we're believers, we can cry out to the Lord and be confident that He will deliver us. And because we have entered into that haven of rest where we can know that we belong to God and we serve God and that we can trust God, we can go out into this storm-tossed world and invite others to make that same choice. That sweet voice calls to our souls today, saying, make me your choice. And so, folks, I ask you today, are you at your wit's end? Are you afraid or concerned about the storm? We serve the God that hears our cry no matter how loudly the howling winds may try to blow that sound away. God hears our cry in the storm. Won't you enter that haven of rest today? The way, first of all, that you have that haven of rest is by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and I can assure you today that it's not going to be a troublesome thing for God to know that you've called out to him to save you in the middle of a storm. You say, well, I feel bad about it. I waited until I was in the storm. That's okay. If it took a storm to get you to call on the Lord, then amen. That's all I can say. Call on him. He will answer you. It doesn't matter that it's out of the midst of the storm. God knew the storm was coming. Storms do not occur outside of God's omnipotence. He knew the storm was coming. If you see today that you need Jesus Christ in your life, and you do, then I want to remind you that when he came to this earth, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. 
and he gives forth the simple message, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can make Jesus Christ your haven of rest today if you will call upon him and believe that Jesus Christ will be your Savior. Would you do that today? Maybe you've got some other things on your mind. and I, I can't invite you to come to the altar and pray. I can't. I would if I could. But you can pray right there as a family. You can go to your mom and dad, kids. You can talk to them. It would be a great thing for you to do. Dad, it's a great time for you to shine and your role as a spiritual leader of your family. Lead them in a time of prayer. Lead them in a time of response. Reaffirm your commitment for your family that you belong to the Lord, that you serve Him, and that you trust Him. We're going to close out our time together with the word of prayer. I'm going to lead us in prayer, and our live feed will come to a close. It'll be pasted on our Facebook page later. You can invite others to share, uh, others to come to share it, to be a part of it. For now, I just want us to pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we're so thankful that you are our haven of rest, that you lead us then to our desired end, that you hear us when we cry and you deliver us from the storms of life. God, we are thankful today that we can look back on the storms that you've got us through, even national storms that you've brought this nation through in the past, so that we can have confidence, God, that you'll get us through this one as well. Lord, we pray that in this difficult time that people will see their need more acutely to worship you, to follow you, to serve you, to trust in you. Lord, we pray that in everything uh, that we do as a church family that you'd be honored and glorified. Help us to reach out in, in more personal ways than just this broadcast to other people, to one another, to check on one another, to help each other. Because that's what Christians do and that's what we need to do in this time of a national storm. Just bless us, help us. We pray it in Jesus' name.